Etienne Piesman came to Cranio in a non-traditional fashion after a scalp infection left him with nearly 20% kidney function. He found that preparing to die brought him the clarity of total silence. In a remarkable turn of events, he was able to heal his own body, which led him to travel to the Osho International Meditation Center, where he was first introduced to cranial during an immersive meditation and bodywork training. From this time, cranial became his life's passion. Etienne is the founder of Piersman Cranial, as well as the Cranial Sacral Therapy Academy in Holland, where he originated the Cranial Sacral Professional Organization and is an honorary member of the Dutch Cranial Sacral Practitioner Society. He produced the first ever online cranial class, which emphasizes stem cells and their superstar capabilities, the midline as a source of clarity, and easy ways to reach a no-mind state. Etienne's first book, Cranial Sacral Therapy for Babies and Small Children, was published by Penguin Random House, and he is about to publish his second book, Tantric Aspects of Cranial Sacral. Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to have today with me on the Healer Hub podcast, Etienne Piersman, a worldly renowned cranial sacral therapist. Hi, Etienne. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'm good. I'm good. I'm very good. So happy to be talking to you. Yes, I'm also very excited. I had my first introduction to cranial sacral therapy a while back, but I would love uh-huh. to know more about your background story and what brought you to becoming a craniosacral therapist. Okay. So, yes, you want me to start the story now? All right. So, yes, I um, I started my journey to find myself in the 1970s. That's quite a while ago. I think that was before you were born even, right? Yes. (laughs) And uh, it started out in those days. There was not much available as far as uh, personal personal, uh, uh, inquiry was concerned. We started out with a lot of screaming, hours and hours and hours of screaming. And it was wonderful. It was so wonderful, uh, you know, until at a certain point, I discovered that instead of screaming, I could go also into laughter. Yeah, it's the same energy. It's just a different way you express it. And then I was not welcomed in the groups anymore uh, because people needed to scream. And that was basically the beginning of my journey, primal scream and uh, breath work and encounter work. That's That was what was available in those days. So yes, um, I also, in, those, in that time, there was a lot of uh, experimenting with drugs, uh, all kinds of drugs, LSD, weed, you name it, it was available. So yeah, of course, I went also in that direction. And at a certain point, you know, that lifestyle wasn't really, um, yeah, uh, how you say that? It wasn't really leading to something. So at a certain point, 
I got hooked to these things. This was late 70s, early 80s, also quite a while ago. And I got an infection, a staphylococcus infection. And those bacteria, you know, they're just looking for food. They're not bad things. No, they're just alive, looking for food. They got into my bloodstream. And the first thing they started to do was eat my the valves of my heart. Uh, that was not pleasant because, yeah, when the heart cannot pump the way it's supposed to, you lose energy. You become uh, almost flat. It was like all the air goes out of the system. And then they found their way into my kidneys and they started eating kidney. Yeah, they enjoyed it, I guess, because at one point, my left kidney was close to 70% dead material. And the other kidney was close to 90%. So that's a dead sentence. And, you know, for me, that was total panic. I knew my life was over. Uh, it was it was horrible that, you know, to come to that realization. And then, yeah, magic happened. Um, I wasn't aware of it yet. But, uh, you know, the only solution I saw uh, was to meditate. And, uh, you know, I was at a friend's place and they asked me, what can we do for you? I said, well, yeah, nothing you can do. So just give me a room. I can stay here for a while. And I started meditating. And after half an hour, you know, something clicked in me. And all negativity suddenly faded away. The panic faded away. And I ended up in total no mind. There was nothing in my brain anymore. Just peace and quiet. Absolute silence. And that's when I realized that what I did to myself, I had chosen that and I accepted it. I accepted that that certainly would come. But with total peace, I was so happy at that moment just to have found myself. Now, all right, you know, when, when that happens and the people that I was staying with, they brought me to the hospital too, because I, yeah, I was in a really bad shape. I couldn't even lay flat. Um, you can imagine if the kidneys don't work, you blow up. You can't let go of, yeah, the toxins and the water in your body. And I, <laughs> I looked like one of those blow up uh, like a Michelin uh, that Michelin man with the wide the, the, the you know the tires all totally blown up so I went to the hospital and yeah they looked at me they checked me out and they put me in a in a ward together with 80 90 year old people who were on their deathbed they put me there because yeah my body yeah I was at peace but the body was so damaged that it couldn't survive. So oh, that was quite a journey. So in one evening in the middle of the night, uh, people started dying. And yeah, that was so amazing. We were with six people in one room. 
And on the other side of where I was laying, one after the other started dying and died. And I was just watching how they were dying. Yeah, when there was some little fight that was still going on. Another one, just a candle went out. Uh, it was amazing to see how people die. I never seen that before and now. I was in the middle of it. And I knew also I will be at one point the next one to die. Yeah, it was one of those nights. Uh, I think it was a full moon night that, you know, these things happen. So at a certain moment, this was it was my turn. I was number five on the list. It was like, you know, one, two, three, four, and then it was my turn. So I just laid back in, in the bed and the lights started flickering. It was like a door to another world opened. And I could feel my body going through different stages that the body goes through when he dies. A heaviness, a coldness, a heat, uh, you know, burning up almost. And then at a certain point, I just exploded. And my body just exploded in millions and millions and millions of points of light. It was like I became the Milky Way. The, the, the uh, yeah, a star constellation it was just amazing to just experience that. And what I remember of it was that I was watching all of this, how this was all happening with me, with the body. But I was so conscious about watching it all. And then another miracle happened. The guy number six, he couldn't. He just couldn't let go. And at, as soon as I felt that, I was back in the body. The whole explosion stopped. I was back in the body, already standing next to my bed. I became aware, suddenly standing next to the bed, going over to the person. And I put my hand on his chest. I knew there was something with his heart. and. It Yeah, this is a crazy story. And my hand just went into his chest. Yeah, that's how I perceived it. Yeah, of course, that is not possible. But I was in such a strange state, yeah, with that explosion, that that's what I felt that happened. And I touched his heart. And suddenly something happened to him. Yes, yeah, something broke in him. And uh, he could let go suddenly. And he didn't die. Yeah, but he could go let go of the emotion. So afterwards, we became back friends. Friends, really good friends. But, you know, I was back in the body. And I felt the body was still so damaged. Yeah. Kidneys were not working, heart wasn't working. And I, it was as if I missed the train. Yeah, of that, I was back in the body. Uh, you had an outer body experience where you, you could say that, yes, yes, yes. Without actually physically dying. Yes, 
yes, without the physicality, yeah, but the experience of what it is to die, yeah, that I can still touch almost at this moment. So, yeah, then, you know, they gave me so much medication to keep the kidneys, what was left going, and to keep the heart also working, that I knew this is not going to work. This medication is certainly going to kill me. So I told the doctor, I'm out of here. I called a friend. We went to the woods in Belgium. There is beautiful woods in the south of Belgium. And this was in the summer. And I knew I had to go into nature. So we drove and drove and drove until we came at a dead end. And we put up a little tent. He went to sleep and I couldn't go to sleep in the tent with him. It was too confined, the energy. So I went to walk in the woods. This must have been around midnight, totally dark. And I saw in the distance a little light. And I went there and it was uh, a, a bunch of trees in a circle. And in the middle was a little clearing. And that area was giving light. There's no electricity there. It was away from society. But there was a little light there. So it was welcoming me. So, yeah, this is so beautiful. I went to sleep right there in the middle of the clearing. And as soon as I lay down, I went out of the body again. I saw the body laying there and I was, my awareness was above it. And, you know, so many animals came to look what is happening here. And what I remember the most was the respect they had for whatever it was that was happening. So, all right, I lay there the whole night and in the morning the sun came up and the heat of the sun allowed me to go back in the body. So four days and nights, this kept on going. In the day, I was just sitting there. I wouldn't call it that I was meditating. I was just in no mind. There was no thoughts, nothing. You know, I was, you could say, in meditation the whole time. So <clears throat> after four days and night, night, I told my friend, okay, you know, I'm fine, let's go back. So a week later, I go to the hospital and they checked me. My heart was fully functional. My two kidneys were 100% functioning again. Four days and my body was totally healed. Now, yeah, this was, you know, these these experiences yeah, the meditation about dying, being in the hospital with everybody dying, and then healing myself. Yeah, that's the foundation of me going into craniosacral. Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm, um, a year later, I did a uh, massage training, a rebalancing training in Pune in India, in Osho's uh, garden, uh, his ashram. And uh, in the middle of the, the training, 
they did some cranio, and I thought, I felt immediately, this is the same. The silence that you go into with cranio is the same silence of dying, that total no-mind space. And uh, yeah, as soon as I felt that, and this was 1990, as soon as I felt that, I decided this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I started that, and every day has been a cranial day, a day of meditation, a day of being in that no-mind space and evolving with it. You know, it's not something that I reached. No, it's something I reached, but it keeps on becoming more and more and more and more. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, even to this day, so many years later, that cranio that I'm, yeah, teaching. I started teaching in 1990 in the same year. Uh, it's been evolving and it is still, still expanding and evolving the, yeah, what, what is possible with it. So that's how I came to cranio. <laughs> <laughs> I I uh, I was totally absorbed by the story, and I was thinking I need to at one at point ask other questions. But it's just so interesting how everything fell into place for you. So I was wondering, did you make anything out of it with your mind, or and also maybe we can explain what the no mind means because I have experience yeah. with meditation, and I I I'm, or I was trained in the Theravada Buddhist meditation, so we speak about the monkey mind and calming the mind and this state of no mind or no thoughts actually so maybe you can explain from your perspective what the state of no mind is and I know that it's very intellectual and it's not really you cannot really put into words what it actually is um, so let's start with this let's start with what no mind is and then what did you make out of your experience did you associate any spiritual meaning to the fact that you experienced death and then you were able to uh, to, to support your then the person who then became your friend to let go and to actually not pass on the other side and then the four nights that you spent in the um, in the forest and allowing this healing to happen yeah well when i when i started with cranio uh, i thought you know people started asking me to teach which i almost immediately started to do but i thought in the beginning oh, yeah, I can teach craniosacral in relation to death and dying, yeah, because that was that main experience that I went through. And then when I, I did one or two classes around that subject, and I noticed that people just didn't get it. They were not ready, yeah, to take a leap out of life and go to the very end of it. So I dropped that and I started developing, yeah, how can I convey the space of no mind? How can I connect people to it easily? And that has been the question cranio for me, how to convey, how to make them feel that, even in the first class. And... Uh, 
you know, it's it's been an exploration also about what happens to the brain when you go into no mind. What happens to the nervous system? How does that physically, anatomically work going into no mind? You know, okay, most of us know no mind means stopping with thinking. Yeah, so if you stop thinking, yeah, all that energy that goes into thought becomes available for the body. Yeah, it becomes available. And what the body will do with it first is heal itself. Yeah, that's the prime directive of the body is to survive. So it's going to heal itself. And once it's healed, then you can go into yeah that expansive no mind space the esoteric part of it all the spiritual part of it all but you know how to do that so in the first class you know and the explanation of no mind will come yeah but how we start is we just touch yeah and it's not just touch it's we call it conscious touch which means once you put your hand on somebody's wrist, that's where we start. Yeah, you become aware of what is the pinky feeling? What is this finger and this finger and this finger and this finger? What are they all feeling? What is the whole hand feeling? And if you really take your time to go from finger to finger to finger, and of course, when that happens, you know, I'm guiding people all right now go to your pinky let your pinky connect to the body what is it feeling what is the other finger so i use my voice yeah not to wake up the mind at the moment when i'm talking fast i'm talking from my mind but when my voice starts to slow down and I start to introduce gaps between the words. Yeah, you can feel it already. Something else starts to happen. And if you're connected to another body, yeah, then the connection between the two becomes really a powerful thing. So, all right, when you connect and you start feeling, a certain thing happens, either you're feeling fully or you're thinking, but together is not possible. So the more people start to feel, yeah, the more their mind starts to slow down and stop. And on top of that, and this might be the biggest thing that happens when you touch for a minute, the brain starts to flood the system. The whole body starts to be flooded. And this happens, that's the beauty of cranio. It doesn't only happen to the client. The practitioner goes in the same space. Yeah, we start getting flooded by oxytocin. And oxytocin is that chemical, that hormone that creates oneness between two energies. Mom and baby get flooded with oxytocin and they become one energy. When a baby is born, mom and baby, you can't separate them. They're one unit. It's as if they're in a cloud together. 
Now, that's what happens when you touch this way consciously. There is this automatic, um, yeah, um, flooding of 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 uh, oxytocin. We got a little bit in the body. And then another thing happens, Joe. I think you uh, was disconnected. Yeah, we got a little bit cut. For a minute. Yes. But all right. So after that, after the oxytocin, yeah, I told tell them also to relax the jaw. Now, this is a very simple technique. If your jaw is relaxed, immediately the mind stops. Just for a little bit, maybe 10 seconds, maybe 20 seconds, but there is a gap. So there is from different ways, yeah, you could say that the mind is invited yeah, to relax, to stop, to really yeah, be on pause. Yeah, and then you know we our first class is four days where we open up all the diaphragms, we work with the cranium, uh, giving space to the brain. So it is every time, every time, every time we go back to conscious touch, to just waiting. Yeah, And the beauty of it is when you just wait and don't do anything, the body of the client will tell you what to do. And also, I don't emphasize about not thinking. It is a happening that happens by itself. And I mention it once in a while, you know, to stay in that same space. I call it going through the eye of the needle. Yeah, when you go into that openness, yeah, of no mind, where, and you have to remember also, that's another thing. It is so incredibly easy to go there because every night deep sleep happens in no mind. There is no mind at work when you're in that deep space. So a body, everybody, the whole world knows that space. We spend one third of our life in no mind without knowing it. So if you know it, you know, but also your body recognizes, hey, I know this space. I know this space. And when the body recognizes, the mind of the person also starts recognizing it slowly, slowly. Yeah. Mind always comes after the body. Yeah. It's, yeah, the body knows. And mind, yes, yes, yes. It also starts understanding it after a while. Yeah, it catches up afterwards. <laughs> so why do you why do you call it cranial and not cranial sacral? Oh, that's just to make it short. Okay. To save some energy. Yeah. Cranial sacral, it sounds so serious. <laughs> you know, and life is not serious at all. Yes, so cranio is just short for craniosacral. It used to be called craniosacral therapy. Now that's really serious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So you are mentioning also, you mentioned um, that you are going through the systems. Is it in any way related also to the chakra systems or the midline? Is it related to the Chinese um Oh, that's a good question. That's beautiful. Um, we use meridians a lot in our in our work. Not a lot, but we are aware of meridians and we work with them. Um, it's very easy. Not acupuncture, the points. That's so complicated. But there is points in the body where the meridians turn over into another meridian. And that's very easy to work with. Now, the chakras, they relate to what we call diaphragms. There is different places in the body yeah, where there is a, yeah, a diaphragm, like almost like a belt yeah, that closes. The diaphragms are like, like uh, doors they're either closed or they're open. And of course, almost everybody's throat chakra is closed because we have heard so often in our life, shut up. Yeah, As a child in school, you have to learn to be quiet, which is for a child impossible. They want to express, but if you sit in school 10 years and you have to be quiet the whole time, this is going to be closed. Yeah, it's going to be, you're going to be unable to use your real voice because, hey, if you say what is in there, people get offended. People can't handle it. So we close it. And there is a few of them in the body. Yeah, we have the respiratory diaphragm. We have the pelvic floor. We have the thoracic inlet. There is a few places that close chakras. And if we, yeah, it's physically much easier to open a diaphragm than to open a chakra, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I've never been working really with chakras, but I know when we open the doors for the energy, chakras will open by themselves. Yeah, it's two of the same. So, yes, the midline now, that is a biological fact. When, after conception, and even egg is fertilized, you have, a, of course, a fertilized egg. Yeah. In reality, it's better to call that the very first stem cell because that cell yeah, is now sitting on your chair. That cell has become you, which is trillions of cells. And that is one cell that makes that happen. Yeah, A stem cell has the ability to clone itself. So one becomes two, and then two become four. And this is endless. It can create millions and billions of clones. Yeah, And the fun thing is, each clone is identical to the origin, to the original one. It can keep on cloning, but also, it hasn't lost any of its energy, of its possibilities. Now, 
this is something that the mind cannot really. What is? It's unbelievable. Yeah, but that cell, that's the beauty of it, doesn't have the energy inside to do that. It's too small. You need a microscope. So it can't focus, and that's the beauty. It can focus the life force, which is always coming. The light of the sun that creates life keeps on, keeps on, keeps on pushing. Yeah, so... That's what stem cells can do endlessly. Focus the life force and keep on creating. They have to create. Now, the midline, after you have a certain amount of these stem cells, they organize themselves in three layers. One layer is going to create the outside of the body. One layer is going to create the organs. And one layer, the in-between layer, is going to create the connective tissue, the fascia, the communication layer. So there's still stem cells at that point, but they already have chosen what their speciality is going to be. So you can look at them, and this is a simplified version, as three pancakes on top of each other. And then suddenly, and this is real magic, boom, a line comes in the middle. Now, let me explain. If the line doesn't come, the three pancakes will close and will start creating, but pure chaos. It will create a bone, a hair, an eye, a pinky, nails, but something that cannot stay alive pure chaos, but stem cells have to create. That's what they do. Now, if the line comes, now suddenly there is clarity. Clarity about what the stem cells, what their life's purpose is going to be. So all these cells suddenly realize what they want to become. Like, I want to become an eye cell or hair or a lip or a pinky, or a kneecap, or whatever organ, suddenly they realize their job. And then secondly, they also realize where do they need to move to, to become a kneecap cell. A kneecap cell cannot be here. No, it needs to go to the leg, which also still needs to be created. But suddenly they know where in the body they're going to do their job. And then the third aspect is there is also suddenly a sense of timing. They cannot all at the same time start moving. It's one after the other, after the other, after the other. So the midline at that point brings clarity about how to create a body. Total clarity. And all right, this is your body in all its perfection. My body in all its perfection is because the midline guided all these cells. Now, when we do cranio, that's what we connect to again, to that midline, yeah, to the clarity. And this clarity is not just a physical clarity. It also brings clarity about emotion and about mental 
problems. Yeah, everything needs to find a solution. That's what the midline brings. It brings the client to a point that they start feeling their hookups. What it's as if the midline starts pushing chaos in the body, emotional chaos or mental chaos. It starts to push it to the surface. So the client becomes aware of it. And that's a big part of our craniosacral work, yeah, to go into why is it, yeah, that your heart cannot give love? What what prevents you? Or that you find yourself always, yeah, in a position that if love comes, you have to push it away somehow. Why is it all these things, yeah? Um, Cranio is in silence, that's one part. But if all these things come up, yeah, emotion comes up or a mental thing comes up, we have to know how to bring that also, yeah, how to, yeah, create clarity there. So, yeah, that midline, and this is again that no mind space we go into. When you go into no mind, the deeper you can go there, time falls away and also space falls away. So it becomes very easy to connect to any space in time where the body went through your childhood, your babyhood, being inside of mom's womb. Yeah, we can connect the client to all these spaces so easily because this time yeah it just falls away and uh, that's wonderful to be able to do that so easily yeah it it's not something that's forced it comes by itself so am i getting it right that during a cranial sacral <laughs> therapy session <laughs> yes <laughs> you are reconnecting the client through conscious touch yeah midline and it it somehow visually seems that you are connecting also them to to the timings on this midline where yeah. they go back to bring to, into wholeness or to bring healing or to bring repair yes what yes. they are dealing with in the present moment absolutely and this is yeah. happening only through touch or is there a moment where the client verbalizes oh this happened to me so this is yes. the reason why. After a while, you know, when when you open up the body, that's the first thing we do. Yeah. In in our classes, for instance, the first three classes. By the way, I just came back from Prague. I uh, I teach in Prague already for a few years, and I like I like that area of Europe a lot. Yeah, the food is so natural. Yeah, I guess where you are, it must also be quite different. Uh, yeah, but um, what was your question again? It was about the midline, and when you when you mentioned what you mentioned about opening the body, I also kind of saw this mapping. So when you are reconnecting the client to the midline, is also a sort of um, intangible way of mapping whatever struggles the person has. So that yes. 
we connect them to the points on their timeline to go yeah. back there to heal that so that they can get some some sort of integrity some sort of wholeness out of the session yes you know the beauty of connecting to the midline when it appears yeah there is no mind because the brain hasn't been formed yet and first you need the brain to be able to create a mind yeah so you're in a moment of no mind when the midline appears. The body is still in total no mind space. It's being created, but there is no mind to create it. It comes from that wisdom, from the wisdom of, yeah, that no mind space, that, yeah, nature, total, yeah, life force creates the body. So when we connect to midline, we go into that space. And the thing is, you know, it's, of course, you want to go there. But if you just connect, we do it. Yeah, the simplest way is, as a person, you sit on top of the head, on top of the table, hands go on the shoulders, and the midline is just in the middle. The client's midline, your midline, and both of you, as a practitioner and as a client, go into that no-mind space. And when you're so deeply connected, yeah, the client has more than just their energy available. Yeah, there is also that connection of the practitioner because both go into that deep space and then the two energies become one energy. It's one energy field, yeah, not two different, not a practitioner and a client. No, it is one energy field where both client and practitioner are part of. So the client can use that enormous amount of energy to push, yeah, whatever chaos is in the body. And that's the what happens, it comes to the surface by itself. But for that to happen, we need to open all these doors. Like I was talking about the voice. Yeah, that needs to be opened so that the client really can start talking uh, from the reality of their body, not from what is politically correct. What can I say? What should I keep hidden? The What is hidden, that's what we want to come to the surface. And yes, we have yeah, different approaches to that. Yeah. Um, the first thing we will do, and this is class number four, it's called talking to the heart. And that is basically where all trauma starts. All trauma starts with the heart. And let me explain this. The heart is the very first organ to function. At day 18 after conception, that's very fast. There is already a bunch of cells that starts to show a heartbeat. The heart is created 
18 days after conception. And then it starts to grow, of course. But in the beginning, it is so vulnerable, so immensely vulnerable. And of course, as a baby growing up in mom, you hear the outside world. Yeah. Then you come out and it is not always safe. A baby is so small and vulnerable, it needs to be protected. Yeah. And sometimes the siblings are not easy. Sometimes mom is not easy. Sometimes dad comes home every night drunk and yeah. So it's just a few examples. Yeah, the heart needs to be protected until it becomes an adult heart. And the body also needs to become powerful so it can say no. All that time the heart is vulnerable. It can be hurt at any minute. And but it hears all of it. It experiences the outside world. But luckily. The heart has a protector, the pericardium. It's a simple membrane, but it's so important. It even has its, has its own meridian, yeah, the pericardium meridian. And the pericardium knows from the very, very beginning that it needs to protect the heart. That's why it, we call it the protector. So it grows up protecting the heart. And sometimes it becomes so thick, so protective, that when you grow up, it sometimes is even as thick as a concrete wall. And then giving love, forget it. You can't get through your own protection or receiving is impossible. So, you know, that's what we do first to go look at how does your heart protector look? And we use then the transformational aspect of the heart to transform that protector into what fits right now for you. What is it? How do you want your heart protector to be at this moment? And then, you know, there is also the magic that we use we ask our client, can you lend your voice to your heart protector? So now, if they, and of course, everybody's going to say yes to that, now we can have a direct conversation with the heart protector. What does it need? Does it need help? Does it need help from the voice or from whatever? And then the magic again. We talk, we ask the client, can you lend your voice to your heart? Now, if I ask you, how is your heart doing? Yeah, the first thing you're going to do is, of course, you know, you're going to give an answer that is still protecting you yeah but if i if in a session and you're in that deep space and somebody asks you 
Can I talk to your heart? And then, hello heart, what do you need to tell Anka? What does she need to know? And of course, deep down, you know these things because it's your heart talking, but we have put those things, the real stuff, we buried it so deeply. So yeah, that's where we start with uh, yeah, the talking and the, it's also, I call this also the first session about trauma. Yeah, when the heart can really express what it needs from you. Yeah, give you advice on what to do and what to listen to in your world. Yeah, it's quite a thing to start that way. As you were talking, I was I was thinking about about Dr. Gabor Mate. I don't know if you are familiar with his work. No, I don't think so. Yeah, he has a very interesting uh, background and he also experienced and experiences now uh, with psychedelics and helping people uh, to ayahuasca, for example. And something that he mentions is that there is intrauterine trauma. So the, the fetus, the, the being that is not yet incarnated, picks up on whatever the environment and the mom, the womb, is emitting. So of course, really coming into the world, what you're mentioning about the heart and how the heart, uh, the heart hears, but it's not like a hearing as you and me are hearing because there is no conscious <laughs> filtering of what is being heard. So it's more a sense of feeling or a sense mm -hmm. of getting the energy of what is happening around without any filter. So I understand how from yeah. 18th day of conception, the heart just keeps on getting things and unfiltering and depending on what can, kind of an environment uh, the, the embryo is in, it's going to more or less harden, the pericardium is going to harden and it's going to create this support system that serves for a while. <laughs> but yes. it's time to love and <laughs> allow other people in, it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, that being, you know, it words are not relevant. It understands only the vibration in the sound, whether the sound is pure or whether there is impurity in the sound. And it is even part of the brain develops. Yeah, The part of the brain on which the human brain is grown, yeah, on top of it, yeah, that part develops, yeah, under the influence of sound. Just the sounds in the environment turn that part of the brain, is the anterior cingulate gyrus in the brain, it turns it on. And if, of course, yeah, there is dissonance in the sounds, anger, yeah, that's what's going to be entered in there. That's going to be stuck in there. And then the human brain of the baby, yeah, grows on top of anger, yeah. But if it's the sound of mom, yeah, and that's the purity of love. When mom is in that oxytocin heaven, her voice, yeah, is going to be so pure. And that's 
what then the foundation for the baby's human brain is going to be. This brings us, uh, you know, in our in our classes, we also have a baby class. And one of the aspects there is that we go into rebirth. Yeah, every student goes again into we go back then, you know, and this is a, a session that we do where four people work together. One person will be on the table, one person on the head will play mom. One person is helping and yeah, puts their hands where it's needed. And one person plays the role of placenta. Yeah, is connected all the time to the uh, belly button. And what we do there, we go with the client to a place before birth. Yeah, before where they were, before they were called to incarnate into a body. Now, that's amazing, you know, to go to that no-mind space where you are as a soul, and then suddenly you feel that there is something that needs to happen to you, yeah? That feeling is a one-way street. You can't go back. Once you feel something, you have to go to the earth and find a body to live out what it is, what your desire is, what you need to do. So that's when you connect to mom and dad, yeah? And you can even, and that's the beauty of this work, you can even see your mom and dad making love, what how it was when they created you, yeah? And this is kind of a silly example, but in one class, somebody was yeah going through that space and she started to laugh, laugh, laugh. And I asked her what happened. She said, well, when I saw my mom and dad, they just had a few beers and she got the smell of beer, yeah, and she started to laugh about it, how her mom and dad were having such a good time and were a little bit, you know, tipsy, yeah. But, all right, so you can see your own conception. And then we go through the whole nine months, but in a way that after every two weeks, we take a pause, yeah, and then I connect the person that's a baby at that moment to their physical body the way they are at this moment. They're also a, a human being, a big yeah, adult on the table. And, I, you know, we use breath then to let go of whatever it is they feel at that point, yeah, that came from outside that they don't want to take with them anymore at this moment. So we reset basically the whole evolution in when they're in the womb and then we let them come out. And at that point, you know, there is they stay connected to the placenta and the umbilical cord. And that's, to me, one of the biggest 
crimes that you can do to a baby is to cut the umbilical cord. That is so unnatural. And that is bringing aggression to birthing. And everybody's still doing it. You know, just cutting or clamping the cord. And the tragedy is that placenta who took care of the baby. The placenta is the organ that brings all the nutrients to the baby. And the umbilical cord, they are filled with original stem cells. And when you clamp it off, yeah, all that stuff that's still in placenta and umbilical cord, it all needs to move into the baby. And once that happened, then the umbilical cord will disconnect by itself. It takes a few days after birth, a week maximum. And then the umbilical cord disconnects by itself. And now the baby is total. Yeah, it's one of the things. I um, just finished my second book, and that's one of the main topics, you know. We call it lotus birth, where a baby yeah, gets a chance to yeah, absorb everything that placenta and umbilicus yeah, still have to give to the baby. And uh, I started being aware of that about 15 years ago, when I first started encountering babies that were born like that, they are so different. They are so already mature. It's like they're born as a Buddha. They're so full. They don't cry. Well, a little bit, you know, but not like most babies. Yeah, yeah, they're so content in themselves because there's nothing missing. Yeah, if you cut a baby off, a big part of them is missing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so beautiful that we are having this conversation now because I'm thinking next year when I'm going to give birth. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Uh, it's, yeah, it's something that I that has been on my mind for a while and so in this second book that you are now writing you are bringing also the tantric um aspect into yes western. so the, yes. one of my curiosities is because you mentioned osho you you lived in the you lived and you studied in the um, in his ashram yes and this is how you were introduced to Tantra, or where did the Tantra... Well, you know, that there is a big misunderstanding about Tantra. Yeah. Um, the original book is called the Vigyan Bhairav Tantra, and it's about five, 6,000 years old. And it describes 108 or 112, I'm not sure, meditation techniques, techniques to transform consciousness to a higher level. Basically, techniques to go into no mind. Yeah. And nowadays, when we talk about Tantra, we think sex. We yeah. think also, tantric sex. The end of Neo Tantra, right? Yes, yes, yes. Now, in our cranio, 
You know, in of these 112 meditation techniques, only six are related to sexuality. Only six. So there is more than a hundred that use different methods to transform your uh, consciousness. And in our cranial work, uh, the way I teach it, I use about 40 different tantric techniques to transform consciousness. Uh, so, yeah, when I talk about the tantric aspects, yeah, uh, it's about what techniques do we use to transform consciousness. Now, that's a big part of the book. Lotus Bird is also a big part of the book. And what I recently, oh yeah, we also use SOAS work. And in SOAS work, yeah, the aspect intimacy, the aspect sexuality also comes up. And all the hookups that you have about that also come to the fore. Ground. And recently, we also added to our whole cranial program vaginal work. Where, and this, of course, is only done by women. Yet yeah, it's not like a man and a woman. No, we teach this. It's a, yeah, a women that work with other women to release the fascia inside yeah. the vagina. And wow, that is so powerful. So they are using you, touch or they are using yes. to, yeah. It's, you know, you go inside yeah. and, you know, you feel the areas that are contracted, that are tight. And this is basically, you know, uh, the foundation of life where you connect to it. It's not just that. But it's all the repression that is stored in there. You know, the fear of your mother about sexuality, the fear of her mother, and everything negative about the last two, three thousand years where women have been suppressed and suppressed and suppressed. It's all bundled in there. Yep. I came into connection to that because as a birthday present, I gave my girlfriend a, a class about that. The person that does that came for a class. And at the end of the class, I asked the teacher, oh, woman, uh, I want to see what you're doing so I can do it also. So after class, you know, we did a private session. My girlfriend was the person on the table and she showed me how to do it. Yeah. And then I did that same thing with my girlfriend. And it is one of those experiences in my life. Yeah. That's equal to my death experience and equal to my experience of regenerating my kidneys. I came, you know, and I can still feel the emotion, but I connected to a place before life, not just before conception, 
but before life itself started on this planet, yeah, I got projected into yeah a space of yeah pure creativity before life started on this planet, and I could also see my own uh, mas masculine yeah energy how misguided that male energy has been in me but in every male how misguided you know and it was actually for the first time i knew a woman yeah has the ability to give life yeah it's easy to say that but to feel that life comes from you all life comes from you not just you but every woman and to see that to feel that it just you know i i collapsed on the floor at that moment you know that was so overwhelming to see the reality of that of life wow that was an amazing experience so yeah you know that's also part of our cranial program <laughs> yeah it's a beautiful experience uh, what, what you're mentioning and i think it comes with a lot of uh humility also to to feed into the raw spaces um yeah i'm i'm very happy that you got to have this experience and also that you understood profoundly how patriarchy played yeah. suppressing the feminine energy and the creative energy and of course if you understand the control system it makes so much sense that you would want to put down that what yeah. has the key towards towards life and creation um, but hopefully we are finding our way <laughs> how are we out of it <laughs> yeah so um, you also mentioned that you believe that every human being has an infinite potential. So what do you understand or what do you relate that to? Well, you know, you have to look at how we start. Yeah, you start out as a fertilized egg, which is one egg. And that egg then starts cloning. And you know that it never stops that cloning. Every night, millions and millions of cells need to be replaced. Cells in the body, they live only a few weeks, a few months. Yeah, your body is in reality never, ever, ever older than three months. Your body. You know, within four months' time from now, this body that you have is not sitting on that chair. It's a whole new body. So this goes on your whole life. Endless creation, endless creation. And if you die, some of these stem cells don't die. They keep on going. And your ears will still grow. Your hair will still grow. Your nails will still grow. It is a, a mechanism that keeps going. But, you know, everybody knows their own genius. 
deep down underneath, you know how brilliant you are, right? <laughs> I often wonder nowadays. <laughs> but Yes, I well, yes, that's doubt that comes from others. Yeah, but the reality is, yeah, one sperm and one egg create a fertilized egg that goes on creating, 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 creating endlessly. That's your birthright. Endless energy, endless possibilities. There is no limit to what you can do. But our parents, our teachers, they make it into their thing to keep us down. To keep telling us, you know, that you're no good, you can't do this, you can't do that, you suck at this, you suck at that. And then school, that's the biggest problem. Because in school, the beautiful individual, the unique individual that you are, there is no second person like you. Go around the world, you will not find somebody like you. You're unique. We all are. I am. Everybody is. But in school, we all have to be the same. And that's when you lose your genius. Because you're not directed to explore what it is that you are so good at. Yeah, You are forced to be basically somebody else than your own being. That's what school is about. All the same for 10 years. And of course, you're going to feel bad because you have to make the grade. You have to study something that doesn't interest you at all. And you can't wait to forget it. Yeah, but in the meantime, you lose the window of opportunity to explore what it is that you really want to do. What is it you really want to do? Sometimes when you ask a general question, I feel that you are directly looking into my soul. Because <laughs> it speaks to me, and I think it speaks to a lot of a lot of generations, maybe us, the millennials, who were born in the 80s, and we were at the same time coming from a generation of parents who were trying to not give us what their parents gave them. So I grew up in an environment where I was told that I can be and do anything I wanted. And I actually forged my individuality by belling <laughs> against the system. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, what you mentioned is very, is very much true. I, I think we, we let go uh, in, 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 the need, in the need of belonging more than... Uh, yes to succeed in a in a altered educational system i think it's more the need of belonging where we start perverting and letting go of the aspects that we are actually drawn to of course i have yes. that also also led me on a different path than than other other people's path um because i come from maybe a different like i have a different life story <laughs> yeah you know, that need to belong, you know, that, that goes back again to that lotus baby. You know, if you're totally full, yeah, then there is little need 
of course, you know, when you grow up, you go through all these phases, yeah, like teenagers, yeah, they go through a phase where they need to be part of a group. Yeah, that's their that's their thing. Yeah. But you know, when you're in there totally happy with yourself, then that falls away a little more easy. That need. Yeah, because you don't need anything if you're full. So that reminds me, you know, um, I have a booklet that I can share with you about Lotus Babies. Yeah, um, everything about it. So, yeah, I'll make sure since you want to have a baby that you can read that, you know, and let it let it sink in what what it really is all about yeah i would yeah. appreciate it Do you, did you create this booklet no it's uh the person that started promoting lotus babies she studied in the amazon in south america and uh, she writes about it she's a nurse that wanted to see in the world what is what is yeah birthing in natural people that still live naturally, yeah, that are not connected to hospitals. And lotus birth in South America with the Indians there is a natural thing. It's also a natural thing still in a lot of tribes in Africa where, uh, yeah, the, it's a natural thing to be born without aggression. But... Uh, it's a nice little thing to to do to to read this is another um, see when when we are talking about this i have i have constant conversations with some of my friends and my clients this is another attack on femininity the corrupted idea that we need to go through a medical system that we need to rely on the doctor that we need to give birth in safe environment like the hospitalized environment where if anybody has been through that hell knows that that's not safe at all no. <laughs> but also you know why are they mostly men yes they have no business there absolutely not what do we know about babies and about how to grow a baby? You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah thank you for, for naming that. I, I think that, see, we live in, in a society where it's more and more difficult to express what you actually stand for because then you are going to be labeled as anti-something and God forbid you are anti-something when you should be the most open and the most embracing of whatever nonsense people are coming up with. But this is something that is coming more and more in the public eye. Uh, it's called birth rape, right? Where the medical doctor, the male medical doctor is actually using his power um, to inflict uh, abuse on, on the mother, on the birthing, on the birthing mother. So yes, I would be I would be very interested in uh, in getting that booklet, knowing that I am planning also for a home birth. <laughs> it's gonna be a home. All right, all right. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll I'll make sure I'll get it to you. Give me your email address. Uh. I will, I will, and maybe if it's something that is it something online or is it gonna be attached? Uh, it's something that's it's not online, no. I, I just yes. Connect to uh, the person that connected us and I'll give it to you. Yes. And then I will just add the the name of the book. So maybe the listeners are also yes, yes. finding more about that. 
Yeah, this was an absolute pleasure, Etienne. I really appreciate your time and your energy. I was curious about, um, I imagine that a lot of people are going to be curious about cranial uh, therapy. So is it something yeah. you can only do in person from what I'm getting, right? You have to physically... Uh, no, no, no. There is, uh, we, I just started creating online classes. You know, there is just the basic online. And uh, <clears throat> the next one that's going to be online is, how to do it on yourself alone. Yeah, what, what can you do? And uh, if people are interested, you know, we have a very simple website. It's called cranioRocks.com. Rocks like rock and roll. Mm -hmm. CranioRocks.com. And then they are they guided into our website and uh, everything that's I'm doing. You know, at this point, uh, the latest thing that I developed is um, brain masterclasses. It's uh, nine days where uh, people learn about the brain and how to work with the brain. And uh, one is going to be in Mexico, close to Mexico City in, I think, in uh, August. And then end of September, we'll be in Italy doing another brain masterclass. And hopefully in the future, Maybe somewhere where you live, you know? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Yes. I'm teaching a little bit all over the world in the U.S., in South America, Mexico, uh, in Europe, in Netherlands, and uh, in Prague, in Italy, and uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong also. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So where can people find you online apart from cranialrocks.com well that's the easiest one you know otherwise other ways it's pierce my craniosacral and that's so many letters you know so cranial rocks they get to our main website easily yeah okay thank you so much Etienne is there anything else that you would like to share with us yes I enjoyed this <laughs> thank you thank you yeah. and thank you everybody for tuning in the best way to support the Healer Hub podcast is to review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share it with your people. Thank you so much. Deeply grateful for your support.